Hello and welcome back to Season 2 of This Is A Token with Alex Monroe, the podcast that celebrates all things jewellery. I've spent half a lifetime designing and making jewellery, but what really interests me is what it means to other people. This is a podcast where we ask our guests about the jewellery they cherish most of all. We'll explore the moving, fascinating and often surprising stories connected to each piece and those emotional bonds that we just can't do without. My guest today is the writer Raven Smith. I always have difficulty introducing my guests. Raven's another talented, funny and creative person that it's really hard to pigeonhole. But I actually first came across Raven as an Instagrammer. I think it was my daughter Libby who first introduced me to Raven on Instagram. Um, actually, she's going to be really annoyed that she's not here today. She's a massive fan. So apologies to Libby. Anyway, if you're not already following Raven, do it on Instagram. Check him out. It'll make you smile. And more often than not, it'll make you laugh out loud too. But um, after following Raven on Instagram, I started to read Raven's various columns. I think um, they were probably on Vogue and The Times back then and it was a couple of years ago when we were trying to do more work on gender neutral jewellery that my PR suggested that we ask Raven if he'd like to collaborate on a collection. I think it was about the time that Raven was writing his first book which is a great read, you must check that out too. We were both a bit unsure about where the project would take us but actually it was absolutely brilliant. We ended up having loads of fun and we designed this really lovely collection of jewellery and so now I feel like when I introduce Raven, I have to say Raven Smith, writer, humorist, Instagrammer, style icon and jewellery designer. Welcome to This Is A Token. Welcome, Raven. Thank you very much for giving up your time for us. Thank you for having me. Style icon, I'm going to remember oh, that. Kind uh, of in, my grade, in my grey jumper on Zoom, yes. Yeah, thank you. I'm jealous. What a great you, intro. But I'm jealous because I would love to dress more like you and look more like you. I feel like we're in a time where it's much better for blokes to dress. When I was a kid, I used to sort of mix things up a bit and dress things differently. People would just punch me all the time. I was getting punched for looking different. And so I see you now and I just think, oh my God, he looks great. You know, you dress so well. You look, I don't know, you just look great. And actually, do you remember when we first met? I think it was summer. And you came up to my studio and you were wearing mm. sliders and white sports socks. And I was like, oh, oh that doesn't sound like me. I like, thank you for wearing that. Because that's what I, I wear that. <laughs> the thing is, you, you've got to just believe in what you wear. It's well, not really about the garment. It's like the mood. You've got to be like, oh, I'm feeling myself today. Do you have as much confidence as you appear to have yes i'm so sorry to say it yes the thing is like most people on this planet i am plagued with insecurity but it just doesn't stop me like going out meeting people chatting away it doesn't hold me back it's still there i'm not inhuman i always just have this feeling like i like getting on with people i like seeing my old mates that have known me for years i like meeting new people and finding common ground so i find it very like feeding and enlivening for me i think that is for me is what confidence is in a way like not scared of not getting on with people I really want to get on with people I, I really like meeting people and stuff I just want people to like me so where does your confidence come from 
I don't know. Ah, where did my confidence come from? I, mean, I don't know. I've always been like a show off of sorts ever since I was a kid. I've just never been shy. And I don't think that is learned. I think it's just at my core is who I am. Very expressive. But I think as I've gotten older, it's been less about like showing off as it were. It's less about me and more about everyone in the room. Can we all feel good? Not just, can I feel good? That can be a bit of a problem trying to make everyone happy and make everyone get on and make everyone, you know, have a nice time. Because we live in a house where people get really pissed off. Mm. And I think that's one of my problems is I just want everyone to be happy and to get on. And I think that annoys people even more. I'm the only man in a house full of women. So maybe I'm sort of outnumbered there slightly or something. I don't know. We don't have like a consistent energy in our house. I'm definitely one for being in a mood. And I definitely, alongside going out, talking to people, chatting to people, like strangers in my DMs, I love a chat. I also just like to power down and not speak for like a day and just do nothing. So I, I think it's light and shade. Your experience of me is the light, <laughs> which is fine. <laughs> well, I caught you by surprise a while ago because you were out for your walk and you walked past the end of my road and, and we were sort of out of context a bit. And I was like, hey, Raven. And I kind of thought, because you were obviously in, in your own little world, you know, walking along, listening to something. And I was like, oh, my God, do I break into this or not? You know, and those obligatory governmental walks that I've been taking on lockdown are like so unglamorous. They have nothing to do with like how I feel. They are something that I have to do in order to not crack up. It's such a weird experience having no proper outlets for being like a chronic extrovert. It's really hard. <laughs> Me and Con, who are like a couple of anxious, uptight kind of introverts, we've had quite a nice time. We've just been watching box sets. Yeah, we have watched a lot of shit. That's true. Now I really want to be more extroverted because I've been taking freedom for granted. We all have. It's frustrating. It's not like I'm desperate to go out and get drunk. It's just that I want to live my life under my own rules. There's so much stuff I'm not allowed to do. That's the frustration. Anyway, it's coming, isn't it? It's not long now. No, I've been vaccinated. It feels really liberating, doesn't it? It's like, phew, you know. It's mixed for me. So I've been volunteering at my local vaccination centre. Just drop that in. My charity work. But not charity, but like giving up my time for free. So if there's vaccine left at the end of the day because it expires, they give it to the volunteers first and then first come, first serve, people walking past. Are you, are you like organising? I'm a marshal. They won't let yeah, me yeah. near a vein. They will not <laughs> let me near a vein. It takes me back to like a time in my life when I had jobs that just didn't use my brain like I do now. You know, I've got a job that is like creative and expressive and all of these great things. But it just took me back to like working at Sainsbury's doing shift work and, and promising myself I wouldn't look at the clock for another hour and looking at it within five minutes. Something I love that I don't get to do as much as I used to is actually sitting on the bench making jewellery like mm. in a repeat way. And uh, I could lose a day. I love that. You know, I, I think I'd get on quite well as a shelf stacker in Sainsbury's because, yeah. you know, as long as you could make it really neat and, you know, it took a few hours, I, I think I'd get into that. I think for me, it's like somewhat therapeutic. I'm in charge of like a waiting room. So yeah. people come in, you tell them to take their coat off to save time when they go through to the doctor. When they get up, you wipe their chair with some kind of NHS wipe. And it really feeds into my need to be efficient. It's really like nourishing some part of me that is like, this is the task. And I'm going to do it really well. But the head girl in me that's somewhere deep inside wants to be lead marshal. I'm still <laughs> looking one rung above. <laughs> the person I had most respect for was the organising marshal, chair wipey person, because it was such a lovely community thing. Like, like 
we're all going to work together to get this it done. It feels good. It does. It, it feels really, really good. It feels so good. It's a sense of like very quiet relief yeah, that it, yeah. this is shifting, that we're all working together to shift out of where we're at. Did you think you want to contribute or did you think like, oh, I just want to get out of the house and what can I do? You know, I volunteered about 10 years ago, a one-on-one mentoring with a young black guy just after the London riots. And I just remember it in retrospect as like a very good time in my life where I wasn't solely focused on how I feel and something about being a writer who write essays about my personal life and the status quo of what is going on in the world I'm constantly thinking about what I feel and what I think and what I wanted to do was yes something that supported my community but also just something that took me out of genuinely just like a spin cycle of how I feel I do like a routine like I like to get up and come to my office and work but when there's less work what volunteering has offered me is like shifts like actual blocks of my time that have meaning rather than just the role of I've got to deliver an an article this week and I've got seven days so do you leave the house to work because you're in a studio now so is is that like your office so you can just leave your house go somewhere else do some work and then go home after you finish working that is the plan I mean I do spend a little bit of time here sometimes just catching up on Netflix (laughs) early January my husband and I were really getting under each other's feet and I was just coming here and reading and then going home again but the idea is that work finishes and then I go home it's never as clear-cut as that but that is the plan when we were working together on on this collaboration you had the builders in and I so sympathized you because I had the builders in as well it's just like hell on earth is that all behind you now and you've forgotten all about it and you've got a gorgeous home and it's all finished or is you still got the builders are out do i have a gorgeous home that's finished it's slowly emerging as a place that you can relax i think lots of people warn you like the toll it will take to renovate a house and i was like you know what i made a quite strong stuff i'll be fine and then i was like oh this is this is horrible like month eight out of the house I was like this is not good what we did is we moved back in early with the builders because you just think right I've just got to move back in and then you wake up every morning with with sort of grit in your underpants and and that dust everywhere you and the builders want to kill each other and it ends up acrimoniously and it's all just a nightmare everyone fall out with their builders it's part of the process so you just might as well just accept it and also take it personally you know like why don't they turn up when they say they're going to turn up it's like that that was the big thing the government is like I'll be in on Thursday. So you sort of put the morning off work and then you'd phone and go, where are you? And they go, oh, we're on a job in Catford or something. And it's like, you said you were going to be here. They go, oh no, we'll come in next Thursday. It's like, just just tell me, you know. They're not like masters of comms, which is what I pride myself on. I don't know if I'm being a bit unfair with my gender stereotypes, but builders are very blokey and sometimes they're not great on the communications side of things, you know. Anyway, good. So you're in. So Raven, I was really intrigued because I thought you guys might be thinking of having a kid, starting a family and stuff. And and Yeah, we are definitely thinking of starting a family. But for two gay guys who have just come out of quite a surprisingly more expensive than expected renovation, the money is the main thing that is, it's checkmate. So we are fine right now, but we don't have 50k for surrogacy just floating about. 
I hadn't really thought about that, but that's such a different experience for you guys than it was for me and Denise, because I fancied her and then, you know, yeah. we started going out and then one day she said, I'm having a baby. And I was like, oh, bloody hell. So there was, there was no, what like, happened. Yeah. no consideration, no finances, no nothing. It was just like, all right, she's yeah. having a baby. What are we going to do? Are we going to stay together? Are we going to get married? You know, how's this going to work? Yeah. And, um, and you just get on with it. It's so romantic. Oh God, I'm getting in trouble, aren't I? But like, so for you guys, there's a lot of consideration and a lot of other stuff rather than just sort of finding out that you're pregnant and and, and, yeah. and needing to get on with it. So, And I yeah. think I felt ready for a few years. My husband didn't. And then maybe like five years ago, we were ready. And lots of straight couples have, you know, their own fertility issues. It's not always just a, yeah. a, a simple process. But we are just hugely aware from the surrogacy agencies that we've met, the cost of yeah. that. It's just such a weird relationship trying to meet a woman who's going to essentially incubate your child for you. It's a yeah. very weird relationship. It's just a constant getting your head around the texture of that. Because what I don't want is for women to be providing a service for me. <laughs> that, what, <laughs> I just pay them and then get on with my life. I would hope yeah. we are all parties, us and the woman, feel yeah. the same kind of reverence for how major and huge it is and maybe not life-changing for her longer term but a huge 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 thing we're not like best buddies but i've known you a bit and i just completely convinced that I'm just gonna say that no, baby's gonna be is we'll have won the lottery you know it's gonna be it's oh. gonna be it's gonna be loved and and have a great time so that's nice i'm i'm excited for you anyway so yeah i think there's just two things at play there's this life that i live on the internet where the cycles are so fast you, bernie's mittens is like half a day and everyone's over it everyone's moving so quickly yeah. and then this other part me which is like I have years to have a kid I don't have to move as fast as the super highway of the internet so I can sort of feel both sometimes frustrated that it's not happening yeah. and sometimes like do you know what I have so much time to yeah. not have to be forced to stop going <laughs> and living so, my best life <laughs> that was something I really wanted to ask you was about your Instagram right mm. it's just fantastic everyone loves it is it like a pressure does it just come naturally or is it a pressure to you does it just occur to you or I have a stock know. similar to writing my books and and anything else I compulsively take notes and that they normally come out as quite succinct one-liners so I always have them my notes app with the with notes I'm constantly screen grabbing pictures that I think are interesting and the perfect post for me is just the meeting of those two things at the right time I don't feel a pressure but I you could argue that I've been on Instagram you know six seven years and I'm just have honed that particular way of expressing myself in that feed it's a natural forum for you is it for some reason it just it just works right it just hit the nail on the head in terms of like wittier sides and you know for me the book writing is like the in-depth you know personal creative pursuit I enjoy being on Instagram and doing posts and making other people giggle or have a wry smile or feel something that's like momentary but I understand that it's transient I'm okay with that I think it's really important, like particularly over this period where everything's been a bit bleak, Mm. to have a little laugh or a smile. You know, it's all those little funny things, observations on humanity and stuff. It's just kept us all all going. I think it's really important. I mean, you know, you need Shakespeare as well, but blimey, I wouldn't have... I have not written any Shakespeare plays. I wouldn't go that far. How was your book? Did you get to do any of that out and about with it? 
it, for real, like like no, festivals so we, and we officially shut down mid March, I think. I was due out like second of April, and it was just yeah. at that point. A lot of other books that were coming out the following week and weeks after that got pushed right out. So I was lucky in that first wave of the pandemic when everyone was at home, people were still very happy to watch Instagram lives. They still had a lot of novelty. It wasn't quite as irritating and everywhere as they are now. I was able to use a lot of those to help launch the book. But I also think my whole thing is being able to, uh, I don't want to say my brand, but like my thing is being on my own in my house, yeah. making stuff that people like. Like, And that didn't need drastically rethinking yeah, because yeah, yeah. we were locked, locked down. In fact, it just got more fun yeah, <laughs> I, just got no, more, like, I just did it more when i did a book i had to promote it we've sold you know a, a nice lot of copies I, i'm really proud of it and i love the interaction i've had with people since i've written it because mm. people have written in and loved it and they've, they've had some same experiences and it's, it's been a beautiful thing to do the one most agonizing part of it was having to go out and promote it and do a book festival i'd give a talk to a sort of half empty hall and yeah. then you'd have to come out and sit at a table and sign copies. And my table was always next to sort of J.K. Rowling or someone. And, yeah. and, and you, you'd have this three-mile queue of people screaming. Yeah. About, and I'd just be sat there, like, with nobody in my queue thinking, I've got to sit here for an hour. This is really embarrassing. This is really embarrassing. This is. I'm very glad I did sign all my books at home on my own. Like, you'd, be, you'd probably be big queue, boy. And, I, and I'd be sitting next to you going, bastard, he's a bastard. The next book is The First Draft is Done. Wow, well done. Blimey, it was, God. Lockdown, as I said, left me and my thoughts and feelings bubbling away. So the, the actual getting them out on paper was less less of a thing to manage. Like, when am I going to find the time to sit at a desk all day? It's like, well, tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. Right, right now. So, yeah, it so, has been fortunate in that sense. So when can we look forward to, to the new book? April 2022. It was torture for me writing because I'm not a writer, but you jumped straight back. You, got, mm. you must have started the second one pretty quick. Quite early on. Yeah. I sat in all of October, I just wrote. Um, Raven, I've just realised... Oh, yes, God, I always do. So we're supposed to. This is this is a podcast. It's supposed to be about jewelry. Um, yes. So <laughs> let's. <laughs> have you got some things to show us, Raven? I've, well, I've got what I'm wearing. Great. So that seems like a great place to start. Place I've got my wedding start. ring. I feel like we're starting with that out of duty because it's just a gold band with my husband's surname engraved inside. That is sweet. It's really interesting because actually, in the kind of canon of discussion and writing and stuff about jewellery you have a lot of sort of talk about kind of art jewellery that's you know in some gallery somewhere and a lot of discussion about incredibly expensive Russian czars jewellery for most people if their house was burning down and, and you know the cat was safe and everything like that they, mm. they'd, they'd run in and save their wedding ring if they weren't wearing it you know and yeah and because it's like one of the most important things that you can own and yet it's just just a gold band isn't it really it's just a piece of yeah metal. my husband was like what if you lose your wedding ring and i was like oh, i mean it's not a marriage it's a bit of a funny one he also promised to get my name inscribed on the inside of his wedding ring which has yet to happen four years Ooh. later we'll just put that out there no judgment <laughs> 
Uh, this next ring is my pinky ring. So this is a, this is a really classic gold, a quite chunky, solid signet ring that's on your little finger. And will you take some snaps on your iPhone yes. afterwards, Raven? And yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. put them on the website. I really like these pinky rings. So yeah, tell me about that one. When I was, I don't know, 20 something, I wore a pinky ring all the time and it looked like a bit of galvanized rock. It was quite chunky and quite sort of young and edgy, but kind of minerally. Was it silver or gold? Gold. Gold. Oh, I right. I got okay. it somewhere. It looks like volcanic rock. Yeah, and nice. And one day I, I lost it. And I was like, I can't believe I've lost this ring. I said to my husband, I know you've stolen it <laughs> to get it measured for an engagement ring. And he was like, yeah, good one. I was looking for it for ages, found it, was over the moon. Two weeks later, he proposed to me with this ring, this signet ring. So he had actually stolen it. We had a bet that he couldn't surprise me with, <laughs> with an engagement. <laughs> And he did. Yeah. Even though I joked How at the sweet. time that he had taken it to get an engagement ring made. So I have my engagement ring on my little finger. It's a signet. He is so proud of being not from a, like a named family and that the signet ring is blank on the surface. Yeah. yeah. So we had this thing of, I was like, oh, maybe I should get it engraved. Like, do we want to just start a family crest? And he was like, no, the point is I'm not from anything. And therefore that's the power of, of it being blank. I love that. I love that. Cool. So was it implicit in your relationship that you were waiting for him to kind of propose Yeah, but I can't you? tell you how that came about. It was very clear that I wasn't going to propose and that he was. It was his job yeah yeah yeah. so did you reciprocate has he got like an engagement celebration piece of jewelry or you you got <laughs> two rings out of the marriage and he only got the one we bought our own wedding rings because oh, he okay. was like yeah. i want one from cartier and i was yeah. like that's crazy so he bought a cartier one and i bought the maker who made my pinky ring so it's meant to look the exact set oh yeah, nice exactly. so is that is that like a jewelry maker that made them you know like like someone you know or was it from a shop or you know someone i know but i've forgotten her name Oh, don't worry. Yeah. So, That's and nice. then for his 30th, I got the pinky ring recast in a smaller size for him. So he has a pinky oh, ring. Sweet. Lovely. Size. Oh, yeah. how cute. Okay. Maybe he hasn't engraved on the inside of his wedding ring because he doesn't want to take it off. I mean, once you're married, it's a hard thing to part with, isn't it? I saw it out on the side the other day. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's like part of the skin yet. All right. I was trying to be a little bit romantic. Oh, God, it's fine. (laughs) Good. Okay. So tell me about your wedding. We were very certain. There's something about being two men. I think girls and women are much more likely to be brought up to think of their wedding day from a very early age. And I don't think men are in the same way. And Richard and I were so certain about what kind of marriage we wanted to have and how much we wanted to be married and neither of us were that sort of focused on what the actual wedding could or should be. He was talking about like a five-day festival in the Highlands, which is not my worst nightmare, but like I don't like organising very big events. It's like too stressful. I'm thinking four weddings and a funeral here. I like the sound yeah, of that Yeah, he one. wanted to go large. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't know. And I was like, we should just elope because then we're married. And he's like, we have to invite my family. Obviously, that makes complete sense. So there's a registry office at the bottom of our road in Camberwell. We yeah. went down there with just our mums as our witnesses. So the four mm. of us got married. Same. 
That's what it, I mean. It was so nice. Peckham Reg. Yeah. Place yeah. to be. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things on the wall about like fake marriages. Yeah. <laughs> and people getting arrested at the altar. <laughs> Rochelle Canteen, we booked it out for lunch and we said to our friends and family, if you want to come for lunch, we'd like you to, to come to lunch to celebrate no, our marriage. I'm going to put a link on the website to Rochelle Canteen because it's such a beautiful place. And they Stunning. can and your, your wedding. We managed to have there. beautiful skies in late April but it was sunny oh, and, and lovely yeah. and then we went to like the west country for our honey like a little four days at the Talbot Inn just hanging out because I was so anti-organizing too much stuff it could have been a mess but it panned out perfectly I feel like perhaps for um, a big anniversary or, you know, renewal of vows or something, I kind of mm. want to see the big Highland Festival Fling. Fling thing. <laughs> I want to see you in the kilt. Uh, <laughs> I, the, the dressing up would not be a problem. So for Richard's 30th, we had a manor house in the country and it's like, it's just fun to be the host of no. a lot of people over three days. No, you're quite right. It's it was nice. Yeah. But I was like quite tired by the end, living yeah, on cake, need... which is also fine. I <laughs> <laughs> need a long weekend afterwards. But... Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, that's very sweet. I never wear jewelry because I do like to work at the bench when I can. This is my excuse. I think it's just an excuse because I could just take it off and put it back on again. But um, we got married down at Peckham Registry and mm. then had a party at my sister's house. But um, at the wedding, I took the ring off like after we did rings and I took yeah. it straight off and put it in my pocket. And obviously, the cool. day, you know, I just drank the nail. <laughs> And, and I've never I haven't seen it since but I, and I don't know why I haven't asked Denise maybe I'm scared of how she's going to react but I just it's been long enough I think she's figured out that you don't know yeah but I think she's she's got it I think she must have taken it yeah <laughs> I think it was such a weird thing and then four days in I was just I was used to it but yeah, the sure. first few days I was like this is very weird yeah I should have given it more more a little bit longer than five seconds I think maybe I maybe I didn't give it yeah but also what's interesting is that wedding rings aren't obligatory i thought that you had to have one but she was like it's up to you like it represents eternity obviously you probably know that already <laughs> let me tell you a few I've things jewelry it's not yeah. a prerequisite of the ceremony at all it's yeah it's like an option which i yeah. was like it makes sense that everyone does it but i thought it had to be part of it no it, it is i think the ring and the circle i've got books on it i should study them more it's like a really ancient thing of this whole eternity thing i think the whole engagement ring thing is a bit more murky and i think there are more sort of commercial forces at work with engagement rings interesting you know why we've ended up with the tradition of having a whacking great diamond that's supposed Mm. to be a certain percentage of your annual income or something i think that's a little bit more cynical from you know diamond dealers and the jewelry industry because i like what you've done i mean i love the idea of exchanging a token to say you know we're committed and we're going to get married yeah, but um, it wouldn't have worked. Well, would it have worked for you to have had a, a two carat diamond on your on your? No, <laughs> no, absolutely not. You know, the signet's perfect, yeah. and it really is. Yeah, I couldn't believe how well he'd got it. But I was like, this is absolutely ideal. <laughs> I could not want it for anything more. So wedding ring, signet ring, and then for my birthday, I've got on this chain. Yeah, it's like a pendant, but it's an upside down head. Yeah, I haven't seen oh that before. God. So that's you didn't have that when we met, did you? Because I did, but maybe we just didn't talk about it. So basically, so he hangs upside down, but then one side is he's smiling, and the other is like oh, comedy tragedy. I remember it now. That's been. I mean, that's the kind of thing that if I lost, I would be like, I don't know how to get 
that back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like I could lose my wedding ring and my marriage would be fine. But if I lost this one, I would feel it because it's been so close to my literal heart for so long. So that's something that fascinates me. So with a necklace or, or, or you know, with jewellery, you wear it against your skin, particularly a necklace next to your heart. And, yeah. and there's nothing else. It's not really the same. I've got the odd thing that my granddad left me and my dad left me. I say that. I don't. I can't remember if I have got anything. But, you know, you inherit things, objects that you mm. put in the back of a cupboard or something. But with jewellery, it's actually there on you, with you, against your skin all day, every day. And the catastrophe when you lose it, it seems to be more exaggerated. And there's something about having yeah. it. Yeah, the rings never come off. Mm. The necklace never comes off, ever. Like, if I occasionally go for a massage in more heady times and they say can you take your necklace off I just say no (laughs) no that was a big thing that came through with actors was often they had to take jewelry like that off if they were playing a scene where you know where they couldn't wear it and that was their big terror and they'd need to have someone you know uh, in the costume department who they really trusted who said take this and look after it and it's so uh, grounding like I notice immediately when it's when something's off like if I don't have it on yeah like I'm like oh no where's that like I'm very seldom without them which birthday was it Raven have you had it for ages yeah uh it might have even been a Christmas maybe like eight or nine years ago lovely lovely We should move on to the coin. Yeah, the coin really intrigued me. When we met and we were talking about jewellery and you were saying, well, you don't really wear that much. You've got, you have a few key pieces. So we were trying to work out what our starting point was from. And actually the coin had real significance. And I, and I feel like it is jewellery in the sense that it's a, it's a little object. But can you tell us about the coin? Yeah. This is my coin. What does the date say on it? It is a 2010 pound coin for Britain and <laughs> on the surface of it can you see that at all yeah and the Neanderthal skull so you have the queen on one side looking very 2010 and it says discovery of Neanderthal skull in Gibraltar 1848 and it's basically like this elongated almost alien looking yeah that's what I was gonna say yeah yeah and I use it as a reminder to be like not a brat essentially (laughs) it's a talisman (laughs) to remind me that I am an adult (laughs) that I am not my best self but my best self is somewhere nearby so I I have it with me all the time I keep it in my bag I just love how the tales of the head and tails is so other it's like this gibraltar neanderthal skull so how did you find it did you get it in your in your change like years ago and you were just looking at it and it just like yeah just like normal currency and i was like that is not that's not normal. I've never I seen love I must it admit. so much. There was a point where I was going to try and get it grafted onto the signet ring. And then I was like, that, yes. my husband doesn't want that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, what I have with jewellery is I want pieces that feel like I, I live in them. I find it much harder to have something that I put on and then take off. I love to be yeah. in it a lot. So if I made this into a ring, I don't think I could wear it all the time. And that, that would feel uh, wrong it would need to be a dress ring what about um like mounting it on a necklace is that going to be a bit heavy as well i mean it's quite yeah. nice just carrying it isn't it but one day I've, there was some talk while we were renovating the house about doing like a big sort of you know the formaldehyde shark yeah yeah like setting the coin in resin in like a big sort of ice block as a, like a coffee table which might still happen <laughs> but the idea that it's that's, like this what this thing brilliant. i could easily lose becomes something you could never lose yeah have a think because if that's you really if you want it jewelryified it's on the cards just consider it and we we'll okay. do that as a thank you but 
I do like the idea of the big resin block. That sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? So it's like completely translucent and it's just floating in the middle. And it's just something about light. that. Yeah. I've spoken to some resin workers and it's not happening anytime soon. I imagine it's a reasonably complex job, actually. And, and Yeah, it's uh, one of those things that like, if you look at like cartel plastic magazine rack, I was like, that seems expensive. And I spoke to my friend who makes them. They were like, you have no idea how hard yeah. that is to do yeah. as a bespoke thing. Yeah. <laughs> There's no point yeah. in you doing this again. Yeah, uh, which is good. I also have my earring that we that we designed. It's the prototype. This is such a joy because that is so fun. I know, I know you've seen it. Yeah, we had such fun on that project, and um, I realised during the process of meeting you and getting to know you and mm. talking about designing jewellery was the one thing you need is you need someone to have. They've got to have an opinion. They've got to mm. have a view. Was, Not me. <laughs> in many ways, you, you kind of love so much stuff, but there was never any question. You know, it was either, yes, let's go this direction, or no, I don't like that. And it was really clear. I think the second we we decided it was about things I would wear, because I was like, I don't know if this idea worked commercially as something that people want to buy. And you were like, actually, the, the only thing that matters is that you are making things that you like. It made it much easier for me to say, oh, I love this, this work. This is just yeah. brutal enough. This is just yeah. fine enough. It made that a lot easier. And we started with this big idea of jewellery itself has a meaning that you can't see, that the treasure is invisible and hidden. So the collection was initially inspired and still holds true to the idea of hidden treasure. It doesn't flex it all of itself. It's got hidden meaning and hidden depth. I I love that because I think um, they're like the golden rules. Firstly, the final thing, you've got to absolutely want to own and love and possess yourself. So, you know, never design anything that you wouldn't like yourself. We were having reasonably sort of highbrow conversations about Mm. about the meaning of the jewellery and the concepts behind the jewellery. But in the end, you end up with something that's quite nice that you, you feel good wearing but you need to start off from this reasonably sophisticated position or, or I think the product at the end is fairly meaningless so I think you can take the pieces on on a series of levels you could buy it just because you think oh that's quite nice and I'll look good totally in it. or you could say I really get what what they're doing behind this and um, this is something that I really want to get on board with and, and explore the deeper meanings in there so I think it works on all those levels. I was really pleased with it, actually. That Nottingham ring is something really special. It has so <laughs> like, much. I can't get over wow. how lovely it is. Studded interior with green. Oh, that one that, was that, was that was That was hilarious because when we started looking at those designs, Mm. I just thought they were essentially rude. You know, like, like, yeah, they like are. really funny. They were I didn't really realise how rude they were funny. until I slipped onto my finger and I was like, oh my, that feels very it, nice, doesn't it? it? It's really good fun. I thought it was great because it was, it was really you. It was like fun, but also it had a sort of cheekiness, like a sauciness yeah. behind it, which which is, anyway, that was that was such good fun, that was. But I think it, it did exactly what we want to do when we do a collaboration, where the sum of the two parts kind of produces something a bit more unexpected. And, you know, do you ever call yourself a jewellery designer now? No. <laughs> yeah, I probably should. Well, you are. I feel like it was teamwork because we've got a design team, wasn't it? It was teamwork, but you, but yeah, you, yeah. you, you're in there, you know, very strongly, very powerfully. I think so. It's yeah. got that real like this is lovely, but it's also got a little streak of naughty. I mean, they're like little cannonballs, but they're yeah. beautiful and yeah. intricately made and smart so fun. and so fun. Um, you can introduce Blueberry to. Oh, this is she's just. We've got a slightly, lap, slightly neurotic so... dog here. Lift her up. Ah. Oh, very <laughs> cute. She's, Look she's at those cute. ears. She is Blueberry. Cute. Blueberry. Oh. Yeah. We um. But we... I don't tell many people she's called Blueberry because it's a bit of a dumb name. But she's she's. Pets need to have dumb names. When I first got her, she was called um 
Ariana. Yeah. Ariana Grande, because she was... That's a lot. I couldn't say it in the park. You'd have to go no. down to, to Peckham Rye and go, Ariana. No, I couldn't do that. <laughs> I feel bad. My cat's called Hastings, and I feel stupid shouting that in the garden. Brilliant. Brilliant. Oh, that's a great yeah. name. That's a great name. Um, after Poirot or after the seaside town? After Poirot. Brilliant. Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> I love Poirots. I listen to them on... Um, on uh, on audio. Uh, Me too. Audio. And it, it's just I so have, comforting. Yeah. Who's, who's your favourite Poirot? So many good ones, aren't they? I listen to the Suchet ones, but... Um, yeah. There's someone else who reads it, but I had chronic insomnia in my 20s and I started listening to audiobooks and it fixed it. After I met my husband, so I'd been listening to them for like 10 years, he was like, it's weird that you're, you need to fix that. And I was like, no, this is the fix. This is what gets me to sleep at night. I if I get rid of this, I'm it. just like, my mind's racing. So like my ultimate is if I've had like a really manic day at work and I'm just uptight about everything is I'll have a bath with a borrow. And I can't yeah. remember the name of the actor. There's one... The photographs yeah. a bit black and white. It's the one before. Anyway, yeah, we love it. Connie, funnily enough, sorry, Connie, I'm speaking for you, but Connie's had a really rough time with mental illness and things. And um, her fix, go on, Connie, who's your fix? Oh, uh, yeah, I couldn't sleep for ages. And I, over lockdown, I re listened to all of the Paul Temples and I just listened to oh, them yeah. on repeat. And I like listen to 15 minutes and I'm, I'm asleep. Yes. Straight away. Yes. 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 <laughs> and you're not like, I can re listen very happily because oh, yeah. I don't feel yeah. like I need to keep abreast of what's unfurling in the story mm. I'm out my mind's it's, occupied and I'm and I'm asleep it's the process of listening that does it isn't it it's, it's yeah. not the story and, 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 and the sound that it makes and yeah I love it anyway great all right on that bombshell on that Poirot yeah. Hastings bombshell Raven thank you so much for, for giving up your time thank and you. having a chat and showing us your bits of jewelry we'll You're put pictures on the website it was nice to meet you you too so, and nice to meet Blueberry Blame for <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you for your Thanks. time, Raven. See you on your walk. Bye. So, bye. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you'd like to see some of the pieces we've been talking about, please check out our website and follow the links to the podcast page. You'll also find information on how to share your own stories, give a bit of feedback, or have a look at all the jewellery-related things I've been up to recently. We've also got some great jewellery-making tutorials on our YouTube channel. There's lots to see. Just go to www.alexmonroe.com.